0: to God, and welcome our senior pastor, Jonathan Wilson, to the platform. Thank you. Thanks, Jacob. Good to see you this morning. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that our hearts would be open. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God to whom nothing is impossible, and we come to you and ask, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit that you would move in each one of our lives. Stir our hearts. May we draw closer to you this morning. And Lord, may you continue to work in and through us your eternal purpose and plan. Thank you, Lord, that you are a miracle worker. Thank you, Lord, that you make a way for us, even through the wilderness. And we give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right. Come on, you may be seated. Yes, give the Lord a big... Hand of praise. All right. Are you doing well? Miracle May. We're into Miracle June now. Um, And, uh, of course, May is a month when we've been focusing on miracles, and God's been doing amazing things. Something powerful about our focus, and I want to encourage you to keep keep believing, keep praying, keep focused. Uh, God is able, and He is willing as well. So uh, today I want to share, uh, uh, take some time to uh, share a word that I hope will inspire you and encourage you. Uh, We, uh, of course, this is a Sunday, Miracle uh, Sunday. Uh, Last Sunday, usually it's the last Sunday in, uh, in May, but this year, because of the Memorial Day weekend, we're doing this year June the 6th, we're doing a special offering, which is our miracle offering over and above our normal giving. And at the end of this message, I want to share a little bit. We have a video that we want to show you, which shows some of the things that we've been able to do over the last 12 months, despite the all that's taken place, the craziness in, in, our, in this year that we've been able to do because of your generosity, and, and uh, then after that, we're gonna have a moment where we just focus specifically on giving that offering, and if you're not prepared, there's time for you to do it in the future, but uh, we've taken time to talk about this and prepare our hearts for it. So I wanna talk uh, this morning, uh, just share a thought with you uh, as, as we get into the message. I think it's very easy, and the thought is this, that I think it's very easy for us often to look at uh, uh, where we're at as a slice of time that we're living in. And I think there's no time that I've experienced in my lifetime where that's not most, more, more relevant than since March the 8th of 2020. If you don't remember, March the 8th, 2020, I think, was the last service that we had in church before everything shut down for over a year. And, of course, we've been measuring uh, what's been happening over the last, whatever it is, 15 months uh, because that's been very, mu- very uh, prevalent, very much at the forefront of our thinking uh, as, we, as we've navigated that season. But I believe that God wants to see us to see ourselves as part of a continuum of his time and purpose. That we are not just living in a, a slice of time or in a silo, if you like, but we are a part of a continuum of his divine purpose. So that our focus doesn't settle on this moment, but we have a kingdom perspective that fo- focuses on the continuum of the God's kingdom plan and purpose. So easy to look at the last 12 months and think about COVID or the or racial conflict or political uh, division and 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 see that as something that has in a sense uh, it ha- has has kind of been at the forefront of 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 the what is most important. But the reality is. Uh, Even though there have been significant shifts, cultural shifts that we've experienced over the last 12 months, the reality is that uh, this last 14 months isn't shaped by COVID or by anything else, but by the unchanging, unstoppable, unrestricted tide of God's kingdom, I love that verse in Isaiah where Isaiah says, But of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. God has been at work. The last 12 months has not been, or 15 months, has not been a deviation from his plan. But actually, God's on the throne and his purpose is continuing. And I love that prayer, where the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus tells us to pray, Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And often I don't think of that so much as a prayer as I think of it as a declaration. Your kingdom is coming. Your will is being done here on earth as it is in heaven. So we are part of a continuum of every generation from Adam all the way through to us. Now the Bible tells us that there were 76 generations from Adam to Jesus. And in the book of Matthew, Matthew begins with a genealogy. And in his book, he uh, in verse 17, Matthew 1 and verse 17 it says all those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to Babylon the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. In other words, 42 generations from Abraham through to Jesus. And then, of course, the 34 generations that went before that. And if you read your Bible, you'll understand that some of those people lived a little longer than we do. Methuselah lived over, I think, 969 years that he lived. Can you imagine living that long? It would be amazing. For every one year that we have, they had 10. And, uh, but have you ever wondered about the genealogies in the Bible and why they're there? Or when you get to that in your Bible, do you just skip over them? You just go, yeah, okay, I agree. And you just skip over them and go to the next generation. But if you actually look into those, you find a continuum and they're there intentionally placed because every one of those people was important. Every one of them was a, a key individual that was a part of a generational continuum that took place over thousands of years. We sang that song today, The, the Blessing, and we talked about a thousand generations. That's a long time. That's 20,000 years. And. Um, And, uh, or actually a generation in the Bible is considered to be 40 years, so that's 40,000 years. Um, But it's fascinating as we look at those uh, genealogies, and particularly when we look at the genealogy of Jesus, that we see the imperfections of the people that were in that generational continuum that actually carried the purpose of God forward. That if you look in Jesus' genealogy, there were murderers, adulterers, liars, idolaters, people who did the most heinous and awful things, and yet God worked his purpose through them until through that line and that lineage, Jesus, the Messiah, was born. The good news for you and me is that God uses imperfect people like you and I, and that that reminds us that we are all a part of that generational continuum that is central to the purpose of God. And if there's one thing that I want to get across today is that every single one of us can leave this place, maybe you already had a revelation of that, but we leave this place with a sense that I am not, I am not an island. I am a part of a generational continuum that God is working in and God wants to work through. We are all beneficiaries of the generations that have gone before us. And now we have an opportunity, every one of us, to be benefactors of the next generation. A beneficiary is a person that receives help or an advantage from someone or something. Anyone ever been a beneficiary of a of a will? Or a beneficiary uh, of a, a uh, transaction? Or a beneficiary of something that someone has left to us, a legacy? We're all beneficiaries. But then a benefactor is a person that gives help or advantage to someone else. And the title of this message this morning is beneficiaries and benefactors. Beneficiaries and benefactors. A beneficiary receives a legacy. A beneficiary receives, a benefactor leaves a legacy. So every one of us have received a legacy, whether whether we are aware of it or not. We've all received a legacy, and we all have an opportunity to leave a legacy. The word legacy in... The dictionary or the dictionary definition of legacy is a gift of property or money by will or a bequest. So we could be left a legacy uh, by our parents or our grandparents. It also means, secondly, anything handed down from the past, from an ancestor or a predecessor, as followers of Christ. We are beneficiaries of a legacy that has been handed down to us generationally. And thirdly, the word legacy means the office, function, or commission of a legate. Now, a legate in the Roman system of government was basically an ambassador. And I want you to think about this with me, uh, this thought. A legate was an ambassador. The word came from the verb legare in the Latin, which means to send with a commission or charge, to appoint as one's representative. So think about this. If we leave a legacy from the literal meaning of the word, we are sending a a message or we are sending something to... Uh, that is appointed as our representative, a commission, a message of hope to our world, a message of hope to the next generation, resource to the next generation, that is uh, being stored up in heaven for us, but is making a difference in someone else's world. There's a, a quote that I read once, Our children are messengers we send to a time we will not see. So every one of us has an opportunity to leave a legacy, that legacy that will live on after we've moved on, that we've sent ahead into the future. Hebrews 11.4 describes this so well when it speaks about Abel's offering. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which it was testified of him that he was righteous, upright and standing with God. And God testified by accepting his gifts. Listen to this. And though he died, yet through this act of faith, he still speaks. Abel's offering still speaks. Thousands of years after he died, his offering speaks to us. His offering encourages us. His offering causes faith to rise in our hearts. And so he sent a message to the future. He sent a legacy to the future that is touching our lives thousands of years later in exactly the same way that we can do the same thing for the next generation and the next generation. One amazing thought. That what we give, our time, our talent, our treasure, our investment, is going to speak not just for weeks or months or years or decades, but for generations, for centuries, for millenniums. That what we do in our lifetime that maybe we can't see the fruit of it, it's going to live on after we die. It's going to live on in the next generation. It's going to live on in the future. And so when we can understand that and when we see that we're not simply a part of a sliver of time, but we're a part of that continuous uh, continuous momentum that God wants to establish, we understand that we are a part of a generational sequence. And that every one of us is a link, if you like, in the chain. That we are creating a chain reaction through our lives. And as we look at this I want to focus on someone who is a great example of this. He was the generational link between two generations of the most significant family line in history. And that person was Isaac. Isaac of course was Abraham's son and Jacob's father. Isaac was the generational link between Abraham his father, and Jacob, his son. And Isaac was both a beneficiary and a benefactor. And it's very significant that he was a beneficiary of Abraham's faith, and he was a benefactor to his son Jacob, who became the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And the continuity of that family The continuity of the 12 tribes that brought about was the lineage through which the birth of Jesus came about was actually dependent upon Isaac taking his place in that generational continuum. If Isaac had not done that, if Isaac had simply been a beneficiary rather than a benefactor, God's plan would have been deviated or God would have chosen someone else, and Isaac would have missed out on the opportunity of being that one person who was the key link in that generational continuum. And so he was both a beneficiary and a benefactor. He received a legacy, and he left a legacy. And we see the importance of that generational legacy in Jesus, who called God the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because God establishes everything that he does generationally. And you and I have the opportunity to live our lives either as simply beneficiaries who become like the Dead Sea, where water flows in but nothing flows out and nothing can live in it. Or we can become like a river of life because we are beneficiaries of God's life, and God's life flows through us to others. So we have that opportunity. We have that opportunity to live our lives that way. Here we read in Genesis 26 and verse 1, I want to read this. This is the story of Isaac. Uh, or part of his story. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I will tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father." and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerah. So we find this generational continuum. Abraham, who is an example of the life of faith, Isaac, who is an example of the life of inheritance, uh, Isaac was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Everything he had was given to him as an inheritance. And then, of course, Jacob, his son, who lived the struggle, uh, whose hashtag was always the struggle is real. He struggled with uh, life until he finally became uh, Israel, a prince who had prevailed with God. So Isaac is a beneficiary. We all begin life as beneficiaries, but that's just the beginning. He's a beneficiary of the generational promise that God made to Abraham. And God says in that passage, I will perform the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will bless you, and in that we find the promises that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12. I'll bless you, I'll give you this land, I'll give you these descendants, and in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Speaking of Jesus, God was saying to Isaac, just as he says to us this morning, I created you to be a beneficiary and to be a benefactor. I created you to receive a legacy And to leave a legacy. And God created us exactly the same way. Jesus said, freely you have received, now sit back and enjoy. Freely you've received, freely give. Freely you've been a beneficiary, freely be a benefactor. And the problem is that so often as human beings, our human nature is much more interested in being a beneficiary than we are often in being a benefactor. And God, but God created us to be that way. Our inheritance, we have an unbelievable inheritance in Christ. Our inheritance is in Christ, but he, we have an inheritance from those who lived before us the inheritance of the saints, the people who were benefactors for our generation. So, three things that I want to highlight. Uh, and touch on just so that we can think about what is required for us to be benefactors. We've established that we're beneficiaries. How do I become a benefactor who leaves a legacy? And there are three things that Abraham did in that passage of Scripture that are important uh, for us to understand if we want to be benefactors. The first of these is God says to him, stay. The Lord appeared to him and said to him, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I will tell you. Dwell in the land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will leave or I will give these lands. God says to Isaac, stay. Do not be moved. Stay in the land and don't go down to Egypt. A time of famine... In a time of famine, the prevailing pressure will be for us to move. Abraham, his father, had done it. Isaac had the opportunity to go to Egypt when the famine came. But God said, stay. The enemy will always try to move us during a time of famine. And in this season that we've just been through, the last 15 months, The one thing the enemy has wanted to do has been to move us. He's wanted to stop us attending church. He's wanted us to relocate in other parts of the nation or the world. He's wanted to stop us declaring the message of hope and life that the world needs probably now more than ever before. And there's nothing that the enemy would rather see than the church being silenced, our message muted, and our presence removed, and he's been working hard at doing that. So if we're going to be benefactors, if we're going to have something to pass on to the next generation, we've got to stay. We've got to stand fast. We've got to be steadfast. Paul said, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If we're going to be benefactors, we're going to make a decision. I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to allow the disruption that's taken place to affect the patterns of my faith Whether I can, you know, whether I have to wear a mask or don't wear a mask, whether I have to be six feet apart or 12 feet apart or 15 feet apart or a football field apart, or whether I have to stand on my head or whether I'm required in this place to do this and that place to do that. At the end of the day, that's not going to move my faith. My fear of whatever it may be is not going to move me. Because if I want to be a benefactor, if I want to leave something to the next generation, not just my natural kids, but my spiritual kids, the next generation, those that I've invested in, if I'm going to be a benefactor, then I'm going to have to make sure that I am not moved. And God said to Isaac, if you want to be in this chain or this continuum of my generational plan and momentum you have to stay. So the first thing is stay. The second thing is this, is sow. Stay. Secondly, sow. If we are are beneficiaries, because previous generations sowed. They sowed their resource. They sowed their time. They sowed their talent. Some of them sowed their lives. And so we are beneficiaries today of the path that they have uh, or the trail that they have blazed, of the, of the things that they have done. And if we're going to be benefactors, we must sow just as they sowed. And so Genesis 26, we read that that's exactly what Isaac did. He sowed. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. For he had possessions of flocks and possessions of herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Isaac sowed in the midst of famine. That is counterintuitive. Any farmer knows that in a time of drought or a time of famine, you save your seed, and if you have to, you eat it slowly. But, God, but Isaac sowed in the land. What he did defied reason. What he did, what he did the impossible. He did not allow reason to take him out of a position of faith. It required faith to sow in the midst of the famine. And I would say that for all of us, it's required faith for us to stand firm over the last 15 months. It's required faith for us to sow in times when maybe we've had less than we we've had before. The last 12 months for many people has been a time when people were on furlough, where people lost their jobs, where people were earning less than they were previously and people were struggling financially. There are other people though who over the last 12 months have made more money than they've ever made in any year before because they've been in the kind of businesses that have profited from this last season. But the reality is it requires faith to sow in those difficult times, those times of drought. And if we're going to be benefactors, we've got to keep sowing through every season. The Word of God says, Proverbs 11, 25, he that refreshes others will be refreshed. Sometimes when we're weeping, we don't feel like sowing. Sometimes when we're weeping, we think, this is the time for you to sow into me or for someone else to sow into my life. But the Bible talks about the importance of sowing during a time, times we're weeping. I love this, Psalm 126, 5 to 6 in the voice message. My wife, Di, quotes this often. Those who walk the fields to sow, casting their seed in tears, will one day tread those same long rows, amazed by what's appeared. Those who weep as they walk and plant with sighs will return, singing with joy." When they bring home the harvest. How awesome is that? I pray that as you keep sowing, as I keep sowing, as we keep sowing, that we will be amazed by what's appeared as we've walked those same long. Rose. Think about it. The same long rows we've, uh, we've, we've walked weeping will be the same long rows we walk amazed at what God has done. <laughs> what God is saying is keep sowing. Keep sowing in the valley. Keep sowing in the famine. Keep sowing in the drought. Keep sowing in the, in the night seasons. Keep sowing in the tough, tough times. Keep sowing in the times of silence. Keep sowing in times of uncertainty. And the only certainty is I've got to keep sowing, whether it's my time, whether it's my talent, whether it's my investment in other people. And one of the amazing things that I've learned in life is that when I'm going through a tough time, when I begin to sow into someone else's life, And when I begin to sow into God's eternal purpose, it takes my focus off myself, and I start to reap the joy of helping others. And the the thought that to take my mind off the now to the fact that I am leaving a legacy that's going to live on for years, that's going to live on for decades, that's going to live on for generations, and it's going to live on as we help others. And then finally, the third thing, first of all, stay. One thing our dog Coda does not understand is that word stay. Stay. Secondly, sow. He knows how to do that. He digs holes in the lawn. Secondly, sow. And he knows how to do this. Thirdly, dig. He digs holes in the garden. Dig. We're beneficiaries because previous generations dug wells from which we have been able to drink. If we're going to be benefactors, we're going to have to dig wells also. Digging is hard work. I can remember in Australia, I worked as a laborer digging ditches with a, not with a, not with a, uh, 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 not with a. Um, I've gone. I've gone blank. Not with a jackhammer, with a pick and a shovel. It's hard work. And Isaac dug. He dug wells. Genesis 26 says, Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they'd filled them with earth. Going on to the next couple of verses, And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up or thrown dirt in them after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father had called them. The enemy stopped up all the wells that Isaac had dug. It's important to us to understand that wells in those days were not just important, they were critical. Whoever owned or controlled the wells owned and controlled the land. And the enemy had thrown into Abraham's, had thrown dirt into Abraham's well and wanted to stop it up, number one, because they didn't want him to occupy the land, and secondly, they didn't want him to leave an inheritance. And every time you and I dig deep, the enemy is going to come along and he's going to try and throw dirt into our well. And what we have to do is if we want to be a well of life, if we want to be a generational well, if we want to be a well that leaves an inheritance and a legacy, we've got to make sure that we keep digging and that we don't let the enemy prevail in his purpose to throw dirt in our well. There's a lot of people over this last 12 months have had dirt thrown in their well. And the only way that water is going to flow again is when we begin to dig and keep digging so that that water begins to flow again. And when we read the story and we go move forward in that story, we see that there were four wells that uh, Isaac's servants dug And he gave a name to each one of them. The first of them he called quarrel. The second one he called enmity. The third he called spaciousness. And the fourth he called Beersheba, which means the well of promise. And there's a principle there that we can learn. With each one of those wells that he had to dig, he took a progressive step forward in becoming a benefactor to the next generation. First of all, the enemy is going to want to quarrel with you. He's going to pick a fight with you. And we have to prevail in that fight. Paul said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're spiritual, even to the pulling down of strongholds. The second thing... Well was enmity. After we end up engaging the enemy in his quarrel with us, then he's going to reveal himself as our enemy. We have to deal with a spiritual enemy. But once we prevail, we come into a place of spaciousness. That was the name of the third well. Isaac, after he he quarreled with the enemy, he confronted his enemy he came into a place of spaciousness and then finally the last well beersheba was the well of promise he began to drink from the well of promise and god created every one of us with the with the potential to drink from that same well, the well of his promises in his word. But it's not just gonna happen without a fight. It's not gonna just happen without us digging. It's not gonna happen without the enemy trying to throw dirt into our well. So in conclusion, Isaac became a benefactor, and he left an eternal legacy because of those three things, because he stayed, because he sowed, and because he dug. And if we want to be benefactors we need to make a decision that, like Paul said, none of these things will move me, and to understand that we have the opportunity for our lives to live on and our legacy to live on way beyond the length of our own natural lives because every one of us has a part to play. And that as we invest in the next generation we have the opportunity to leave a legacy as a benefactor. God created you and I, not just to be beneficiaries, but to be benefactors. What are we gonna leave? What are the future generations gonna thank us for? Every one of us has a part to play, and every one of us has an opportunity. And as we continue to move forward in our vision as a church, and individually and collectively, let's believe God that we can leave a legacy for the next generation that is going to cause them to rise up and call you blessed. Rise up and call us blessed. Be thankful for the, the, what we have left them, the legacy that they are going to be able to build upon. Jesus said this, for whoever wants to lose his life, rather this, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Let's leave a legacy For the next generation in Jesus' name. We have a video which I want to show you, and then after that, our worship team are going to come. These are some of the things that we've been able to do to leave a legacy in other people's lives. And it's required us staying, it's required us sowing, and it's required.